We're back in the first chapter again, completing this chapter as we begin our study through the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and uh, just an amazing story, the birth of the king. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you give us understanding, Lord, that this story would come home to the amazing gift that you gave to the world, and Lord, that we would be faithful as your servants, as stewards to share the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and know the story of the faithfulness of this young couple. In Jesus' name, amen. We looked at the genealogy and that it was just filled with God's grace. Today we look at his parents and this is an amazing story of the faithfulness of a couple teenagers. Just an amazing thought that God the Father entrusted teenagers to raise the most important child that's ever been born into the world. Well, we begin there in verse 18 of chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out in the passage and is Matthew is attempting to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ and his royal lineage that this is the king of Israel. This is the gospel to the Jews. He has a little shorter version. We're going to look at the whole story as much as we know today. But all what he includes is is verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord to the prophet. The other thing is when Gabriel speaks to Joseph's dream, he calls him son of David. Very important. And he gave Joseph the responsibility to name this child who was not his child. He was going to be the uh, surrogate father on earth for a while. But Jesus was born of a virgin. So important. This is miraculous. We live in a day and age that scoffs anything supernatural. People think they have to understand everything. In fact, I was talking to a pastor one time, and he, he thought he was being very magnanimous. Magnan- he thought he was being big. And he said, you know, Paul, even if the virgin birth wasn't truth, I'd still follow Jesus. And I was just confused by the statement. And I said, hey, I hope you're not telling your people that. That's very confusing. The Bible gives us the record, and you want to make an opportunity for the Bible, well, if it's not really true, I'll still follow Jesus. That's not big. That's just silly. Because if he's not who he says he is, then all those believers have died in vain. 
But he is who he said he is. And this is the record. This is what God did now. In the Old Testament, every Jewish mother had that, that in the back of her mind that she might be bringing forth that Messiah. Because clear back in Genesis chapter 3, it was promised that this a woman one day was going to bring forth and have seed, and that would become the one who would crush the serpent's head. Clear back before Abraham was even born. And then Abraham comes along and God says, in you, all the earth will be blessed. And it's through this line, Abraham and then David, that Jesus comes. But in this chapter, and in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we have the story of these two faithful, godly teenagers. And that's what's amazing about this story. Now, it doesn't begin here just with Joseph. It begins in Luke chapter 1 with Zachariah and Elizabeth of Luke. In chapter 1, we have Zechariah, who was a priest, and they lived down south and uh, probably 90 miles from Nazareth. Now, Mary's family and Joseph's family had moved up there, and she'd probably, her family may have been there longer, but Joseph's family being craftsmen, there's a, a big construction project going on there that Herod had going on, and it was uh, maybe Jesus and his father worked on it. Maybe that's why Joseph moved up there. It's called Zephra, and uh, it's not too far, like three miles from Nazareth, so that's probably maybe why Joseph moved up there in the first place, because we read later that he was the house and lineage of David, which was down in Bethlehem. But down south, in the first week in October, it's his turn, Zachariah's turn, for him to go serve in the temple. And lots are cast, and you may, this may only happen to you once in a lifetime, but he is chosen by lot to be the priest that goes in and offers the incense. And the incense was a picture of the prayers of Israel going up to heaven. So he comes from the country, and truly, I'm sure people looked at him as this country bumpkin priest. He was in the ruling class, so he comes from the country to do his thing the first week in October. We know that because of the course. It names the course. Uh, the, the team of priests that basically he, it was his turn to go up there. He was chosen and he goes in to offer incense before the Lord and the people are outside praying. And in the middle of that, Gabriel shows up and he speaks to Zachariah and he tells them the good news that they're going to have a child. Now they're past childbearing age. They're in their 60s. They're old. They'd given up on having children. And yet a godly couple and the angel says, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And they give him all this instruction. And he's, he's had this experience of an angel showing up. And he says, well, how do I know these things are going to be true? I like what Gabriel says. Okay, so I'm Gabriel. And I've come from the throne room of God. I don't know how often happens to you, but I'm from God. So, okay, I'll give you a sign. You're not going to speak. And all of a sudden, he can't talk. He comes back out and he has to motion for the people and he writes out and tells them and he's had a vision and he goes home and his wife gets pregnant. After a month or so, she goes into seclusion and six months after she becomes pregnant, the angel goes, the same angel, goes to Bethlehem and shows up and speaks to Mary. And the angel says, you're highly favored and she wondered what kind of greeting that was. And the angel tells her that 
The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her, and she's going to have a child. Now, she asks not so much in unbelief like, like Zachariah did, but she just says, oh, now hold it. How is it possible I'm going to have a child because I've never known a man? She was a pure, godly girl. And so the angel explains how that's going to happen. Now listen, God spoke the worlds into existence. It's not too hard for him to think that he could speak a baby into her womb. But who that baby is. Now, religions have come along afterwards. The Roman church had to come up and make her something different than she was. She was a godly girl. She was not God. She's not co-redemptress. She's not, she doesn't, you don't pray to her, but she is very special. And so she gets this news, and now let's just try to think a little bit. You're a godly teenage girl, and you get the news that Israel's been waiting for forever. The Messiah is finally going to come, and God has chosen you. And I'm sure she went to tell her mother. Her mother, being older, went, oh, Hold it now, what? Now, what most of us would think is this is just a teenager trying to figure out a way to say, I'm having a baby, but I haven't done anything wrong. And that's what everybody else is going to think too. Now, see, weddings are a big deal in Israel. And when you're engaged, that's as serious legal as being married. It takes a divorce to get unengaged. Families come together, they, they take the time, and it's not that Joseph and Mary didn't know each other. We don't know much about that background, but here's two families that think we have found a couple that we think will establish a godly home. And so maybe it's her mom that says, you need to take some time. And so she, part of what Gabriel said is, this will be a sign unto you. Elizabeth, your cousin, who's past childbearing age, and families being close in those days would know she's always wanted this child. She's going to have a baby. So Mary packs up and heads south and goes and spends three months down there with Elizabeth. But before all the neighbors gather and everybody comes around, she goes back to Bethlehem. Three months, she's probably starting to show. And I'm sure Joseph is brokenhearted. But even as a teenager, the Bible says he's a just man. He's a kind man. And he's not about slandering her, but this is not his child. And so he decides what I'll do is I'll just divorce her quietly. You could do it publicly. I don't think that they would probably get away with stoning people up there because they were under Roman law. But still, this would be a blight on her name forever. And so he decides he'll just quietly divorce her. And that's when Gabriel shows up and talks to him in his dream. And the amazing part is this young man, verse 20, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived of her is a Holy Spirit. Verse 24, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Simple obedience. He married her. Now the word gets around. Not going to be a big wedding. The bride's shown up pregnant. And I don't know how much 
He talked about it before to say, no, it's not me. But now he owns it. And everybody can think what they do because you just don't do that in that culture. You just don't do that. And so the invitations had maybe gone out for the wedding, and now the invitations go back. No wedding. And Joseph begins to take on what everybody else thinks is shame. Dr. Bookman has taught us as he goes through this passage that life probably became unbearable. And that culture of judgment, they're living in a conservative, kind of more of a country place, removed from the sophistication of Jerusalem. And life became unbearable. So we come to chapter 2 in Luke, and it says there, went out a decree from Caesar that all the world be taxed. And so everyone went to the city of his birth. And so Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. God orchestrates this wonderful plan, and they decide they need a census that year, but I want to tell you something. Mary and Joseph are just going to visit. They're moving down to Bethlehem. And I think probably in their heart, Joseph thought, well, maybe it's her relatives. Maybe they're being kind of hard. We believe just by the fact that Mary was related to the the priest, that maybe she was a little more upper crust in culture, her family. We don't know any of those things. But somehow they thought life would be easier down in Bethlehem. And so they wait probably till almost the last minute. And so he takes her down to Bethlehem. The Bible says she was great with child. And they travel that 90 miles or so down to Bethlehem. And they get there. And it just seems that he's thinking they'll be able to go down and stay with the family. There in chapter 2 of Luke It says, verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The Greek word for for what we say is inn here is kataluma. Now, kataluma was just a room that people had in their house that was an upper room. And it was a guest room. And if people were traveling, especially your family, you could stay there. That's where they would have feasts. And in Luke chapter 22, when Jesus is preparing for the Passover, he tells the disciples, go down into town and find a man carrying water. That'll be the sign. Jesus has arranged this already. And you follow him and he will take you to the place. Why? Because he's trying to keep secret from Judas where they're going to meet. Because he doesn't want anything interrupting. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He doesn't want anything interrupting the time he's going to have with his disciples as he gives us the new covenant. He spends that time with them in that Passover. And so he secretly arranges and he says, follow that fella to the guest room and tell him I'm here so, we can, so I can eat the Passover with my disciples. 
It's the same word, kataluma, that guest room. So Mary and Joseph probably just had it in their mind, as teenagers might. Well, at least we'll be welcoming my family. And so they go down, and they get there, and she's great with child. And I will tell you something. Children are precious. Our culture's losing that, where children are precious. They're losing that. Children have become this liability. Children, some of you get pregnant, and it's not convenient. You just do away with them. That's not the culture. That's not the way the culture was in America, but that's the way it's become now. Because our God is money and convenience and the flesh. And I'm sure that Joseph thought that emotions would be stirred for this little pregnant wife and they would take her in. But they get there and there's no room. Why? Because this is a place for special guests. We can't honor you, shameful couple. And so this couple owns the reproach of Christ as teenagers. Teenagers, I want to just talk to you for just a minute here. You may have the disconnect that says, well, I don't really have to live all the way like a Christian because I'm just a kid. Well, I have this, I still got to sow my wild oats. Maybe you're in college, and so I really don't have to live for Christ now. I'll wait. Some of the greatest stories of faith in the Bible are from teenagers who simply obeyed when God told them to do that. Now, if we were making the plan, we would probably have the king of the world, the creator of the earth, born into a king's house because then it won't matter what anybody says. But Jesus identified us in our sin and in our struggles. And God the Father chooses to send him to be born to this poor couple of kingly lineage but no money. Bible says in John 1 that he was in the world. The world was made by him and the world did not know him. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And that gives it such more, even more powerful, colorful meaning when you say, think, even when his parents came to their family, the family rejected them. But not totally. Now in those days, and we've, if you've gone to Israel with Dr. Bookman, we don't go to the site that the Catholic Church says is the birthplace of Jesus because it's been turned into something really weird. It's all gaudy and they got stuff in there where you wouldn't recognize it. But we sit behind a chapel and you can look across, because it's still a smaller, smaller city, and you look across the hill and there are those little caves. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of wood in, in Israel. And so they would mine out stone out of a hill to build their house. And after they built their house, what was left was a cave. What they would do was leave one of those stones attached to the ground and shape it and hollow it out so that it might feed their animals. So they had shelter for their animals and they had a manger dug out as a feed trough to feed their animals. And Uncle Reuben and Ann Esther, whatever their names were, said, you can't come and have the special guest room, but you can stay in the stable. Sometimes we read over this story and we forget. These were two young people just trying to obey God. 
and nobody understood. You ever feel like that in your own life? That's why it's so important to know you're, going, you're doing God's will. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, Paul, after giving that great teaching on the doctrine of salvation, comes and he says, how does this apply? And basically he says, seeing the great mercy of God, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world. The world has its opinion how you ought to live your life. And the world wants you to feel, fit, fit in so you make them feel comfortable. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might find out what is that good, that acceptable, the perfect will of God. Because even in the perfect will of God, like this two young couple, they were doing that, is going to be opposition. And I can just imagine that teenager thinking, I can't believe they won't let us come in the house. She's going to have the baby any time. And I can see that teenage young man going and looking at that feed trough and going, well, it's what we have. And scrubbing it and cleaning it. This is not just another baby. This is God come in the flesh. This is God going to be tabernacled with them. Now, I don't know when your children start having children what you think. Um, I told the story in the first service, so I'll bless you with it too. But uh, when uh, Christy and I had PJ, he was just a little tiny little bird. I mean, you could fit him in just like one hand like that. And uh, so Christy having a Rockford when I was in basic and AIT and I showed up and Took my bonus money and bought a 1969 convertible Camaro. In those days, they didn't have child restraint laws, so we figured the best place for him not to be too sunburned. You know those little things, you just put the baby in, kind of lean him up, real flimsy. We put him in that, put him on the floor of the Camaro, and I know my mom thought, we'll never see the child alive again. Who thought teenagers, kids, should be raising children? But here's God putting that kind of weight on this young couple. And so by himself, I'm sure they felt alone in the world. I've been like that. I was young with a wife, and you're out there in these cities all by yourself, and you think, oh, man, what's going to happen now? You feel so responsible. Here's Joseph getting ready, and by himself, he helps his wife bring forth her firstborn son and lay him in a manger. There he was. Can't imagine what that teenage couple thought. This is supposed to be special. This is amazing. Don't, and who are they going to tell that's going to believe them? But I want to tell you something. When you're where God wants you to be, you know you're doing what God has assigned you to. There's no question. They didn't think anything. They didn't think this up. This was God's assignment to them. God will do whatever is necessary to get you through that trial. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no trial taken you but such as is common to man. Now, that's not a comfort, right? Just knowing somebody else has been through is not a comfort. The comfort is God is faithful. And he'll always make a way through the trial. I remember 
Christy and I have a friend, Lisa, that got saved through the ministry of this church years ago. She came to church. She was lonely. She'd gone through divorce. And just before she got saved, she just cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I am so lonely. And she said, I just felt like the Lord reached down and gave me a hug. God knew that's all she needed to draw her. The goodness, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the goodness of God that gives us exactly what we need to get through the trial. But James says, don't be like that wave that's tossed to and fro. You be dedicated to God's assignment. You be faithful and God will give you what you need to get through. Well, God just arranged a worship conference that night. The Bible says there were nearby shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, why do shepherds keep watch over their flock? Well, to keep them safe from wolves, but also because some of them might be having babies too. We believe because of the closeness to Jerusalem that maybe these shepherds were taking care of sacrificial lambs. Picturesque. And so in the quietness of that, that evening, all of a sudden an angel appears. I want to tell you something. I don't care how big and tough you are as a man. When an angel shows up, you hit the ground. Because you've never seen anything so powerful, fresh from the throne room of God. We know that by what happened to the Roman soldiers. They were supposed to be keeping watch over the grave of Jesus, right? And an angel shows up and they fall in a dead faint. And so these shepherds, kind of the lowest on the economic scale in Israel, God chooses to bless them with the announcement of the birth of the Savior of the world. And this angel says, behold, first he said, don't be afraid. That's a good thing for him to say. Because I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all nations. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling crows. Well, that's not a sign. That's what they did with babies. Lying in a manger, that's the sign. In that culture, babies are not put into mangers with the animals. But God knew he had a special blessing for these shepherds. And suddenly, there was a huge, huge... I wonder if anybody else saw it that night. The Bible says, suddenly there was with the one angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. What does that sound like? I want to tell you something. That would sound like thunder. The Bible says when God speaks in his own temples, the pillar of the temples that he built, move. And one day, Revelation chapter 5 says, we're going to gather in that stadium of worship. And when Jesus is going to step out, the lamb that still has the marks that of fresh crucifixion and yet the lion of the tribe of judah the one that conquers what happens we're going to be there the whole place breaks out in worship that's what happened on the hillsides of bethlehem that night amazing loud and bright worship took place and then as suddenly as they appeared they were gone and i bet those shepherds for a while just kind of said nothing like did you see that? Yeah, what was that? As it began to calm down, they said, you know what? We need to go right now. 
We need to go right now to Bethlehem. We need to go to town and see this thing that has come to pass. And so they came and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And what did they do with those teenagers? They told them the whole story. Because those teenagers needed to be strengthened in the job as they took upon them the reproach of Christ. We know it's a reproach because Mary lives with it all the rest of her life. Remember in John chapter 2, the first miracle? We believe it's Mary's sister, one of his sisters that's gotten married because she feels responsible for what's going on. And I think she probably thinks he's abandoned his duties because he's begun his ministry. First he leaves Nazareth and he goes down and he meets John the Baptist who's probably never seen him before even though they're cousins. And God's told John who to look for. And so he sees Jesus. And when Jesus comes to be baptized, what does John the Baptist say? I'm not worthy to be baptized by you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And he's baptized. And then immediately goes in the wilderness for 40 days while the wedding is being planned. And then he comes back out. John points out, to, points John, the, the, the apostle to him. And Andrew, they begin to follow. And they go around the top of Galilee and they come to Capernaum. And he probably picks up Peter and Nathaniel and a couple of the other disciples. He said, hey, you guys want to go to a wedding? We're going to a wedding. So then they get up and they get there just in time for the wedding. And Mary comes to her son when they run out of wine. And they say they've run out of wine. And he, and he says that statement that, that we wonder, why is he being harsh? Because he says, woman, what do I have to do with you? This is not time yet. What's she asking him? She's asking him, okay, you're beginning your ministry now. Now tell everybody who you are. Remove the blight from my name. And Jesus says, no, it's not time yet. Mary lived almost her whole life in the shadow of a bad reputation that was just what God had planned for her. You think God's will is hard? Think it's tough? First of all, remember this. God is faithful. He'll always make a way through the trial. But it's just you holding on to that assignment and saying, this is what God has assigned me, and God's going to give me the strength to get through there. The Bible says very simply that Mary took all these things, the shepherds had told them, and she pondered them in her heart. Never forget what God has done. The old gospel song says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, think what God has done. Count your blessings. Because sometimes in the darks of the trial, you lose your way and you begin to let go of the assignment God has given you. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Even in his own life. They can't think of anything else. And so the religious leader says, we're not born of immoral relationships. Jesus doesn't even distance himself from it. They think what they're going to think. And yet this is the God of glory. What a story. But it's also a story of two faithful teenagers that just did what God called them to do. God hasn't put you in that position. 
But if you're a Christian this morning, you bear the reproach of Christ. Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to share the light and the worship of the one true God? The one who came to earth to take our place, to suffer shame on our part, to take the punishment of the wrath of God on us. Father, we thank you for your word. What a story. What a plan. That even though our Savior was the creator of the universe, he was born in a stable. And his first crib was a manger. We cannot imagine being God and then humbling ourselves to be man, and yet you identified with us that you might be our sacrifice. Oh, Lord, that we would never be ashamed to identify with you. We thank, we're so thankful, Lord, for the example of Mary and Joseph and their faithfulness. Lord, that we might be found faithful, that we might hear from you, well done, faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.